next case presented by Dr. Harwin reflects a clinical scenario of increasing research interest in the past five years, the patient with an ER-positive tumor and delayed cancer recurrence. This is a patient that's been my patient from the very beginning, so that's 23 years. So I saw her in 1985. We actually looked at the old station there. There were only two doctors on the station there. It was kind of funny. <laughs> now you have, what, 43? Yeah, 46. <laughs> so she had a 2.5-centimeter ductal carcinoma that was estroceptor positive 25 fentamols and progesteroceptor positive 247 fentamols and three positive nodes. She was treated with a classical oral cytoxin with intravenous methotrexate and 5-FU, the Bonadonna regimen, but did not receive any hormonal therapy. I was seeing her yearly, but about the 20-year mark, she stopped coming. And then she underwent a left total hip replacement in 2005 for what was thought to be a vascular necrosis, but she really never did well after that. She had a history of still having some problems. Her orthopedist, after seeing her back a few times, I guess had some suspicion and sent her to a orthopedic oncologist in Tampa, and a bone scan was done and some other x-rays, and it looked like there might have been metastatic disease. So she was sent back to me. We did a bone scan that showed metastases to the spine, pelvis, and a lot of intense uptake around the prosthesis. She was asymptomatic other than the left hip, but a CT scan showed liver metastases with the largest lesion being just over six centimeters and a few other liver metastases. A CT needle liver biopsy was done, and it was estroceptor 99% positive, progesteroceptor negative, and HER2 new negative by fish. She received radiation to the left hip, and we elected to treat her without chemotherapy, and she was placed on a research protocol through the Saracanon Research Network, where there's actually a choice between Fazildex or Rimidex plus Bevacizumab. I chose Fazildex. She also receives Alendronate, and she's been on Fazildex and Bevacizumab since September. She's done well. Two serial CT scans have shown reduction in liver metastases, but certainly not resolution. And her tumor marker has improved, her CA2729. She still has some left hip discomfort and uses a cane when she walks, but she's tolerating treatment very well. So did they actually find tumor when they went in in her hip? No, they didn't. And that proceeded, this was about two years prior. So, Mark, what was your take on her as you saw her today? How did you think she was doing? I thought she was doing really remarkably well. I'm very impressed by the shrinkage of her hepatic lesion radiographically. And also, she's had a precipitous drop in her CA2729 from 650 to 129. So, overall, I think she's done extraordinarily well. Any thoughts about this combination? And is this case sort of maybe indicative of this kind of strategy of hormone therapy and anti-angiogenic therapy? Well, I doubt you can reach any conclusions based on one case, Neil. You know, it's gratifying that she's responding, but it's possible that she would have responded equally well to Fazlodex alone. How is she tolerating the therapy? Any BEV issues? Yeah, she had a little bit of slight bruising. She noticed particularly around phlebotomy or IV sites. Not true epistaxis, but she does notice sometimes when she blows her nose, she has a little blood-tinged process. She's had to increase her toprol dose to 50 milligrams, also probably related to the bevacizumab. But other than those three, she really hasn't had any issue with this regimen, except for, of course, the injection site pain, which is the usual situation after the Fazlodex injection. Any vasomotor issues or symptoms with the fulvestrant? No. No, she's done remarkably well. It's also obviously another interesting thing about this case, Mark, is the delayed recurrence, which, of course, I think we're a lot more sensitive 
to now than we were maybe five years ago. Any thoughts about that? And also, you know, how you follow patients who are out 10, 15 years as she has been. Well, I mean, this late, it always makes me think about a second primary, and I don't think we've ruled out the possibility that this could be a new primary lesion from the right breast. You know, that's never been imaged. It's academic at this point, so I'm not recommending that we should image it. We shouldn't, because now she has metastatic disease anyway. But who's to say whether this is the same lesion 20 years later? It is possible, and we do see late recurrences, particularly in these hormone receptor positive breast cancers. So I guess that's probably the most likely scenario, but we can't rule out a contralateral second primary, but it's academic at this point because it's metastatic. In terms of follow-up, I don't necessarily follow patients this long either, although the trajectory of recurrences in ER-positive disease, the slope doesn't really change that much long-term. But it's my habit to release these folks back to their primary gynecologists or internists, certainly after a decade of follow-up. Oftentimes, I'm not following these patients myself anymore. Anything in terms of the issue of the combination of an anti-angiogenic or anti-VEGF agent and a hormonal agent, any sort of basic laboratory backing for that kind of a strategy, Mark? Yeah, there is. I mean, there's some data suggesting that estrogen can regulate VEGF expression, for example. This might be a logical combination on that basis. It's a combination that has not yet been tested in phase three trials, but it merits testing. Certainly, if you look at the retrospective subset analysis of ECOG's 2100 trial, which was you know, the FDA registration trial for bevacizumab and breast cancer, if you look in the subset of ER-positive patients, they had a hazard ratio that was on par with the ER-negative subset in that trial, I recall. So again, in terms of scientific rationale, proof of concept that ER-positive patients do benefit from an anti-VEGF strategy in E2100. I think it's very reasonable to do these kind of phase two studies in preparation for a large randomized phase three trial, which I believe is either ongoing or about to start. I think it's going to be an aromatase inhibitor plus or minus bevacizumab as a large phase three metastatic effort. Anything else about this lady? One other funny thing that I wasn't as aware of till today is that she complained of a lot of achiness after the week when she gets bevacizumab, her fazildex, and zelentronate. And I think it's from zelentronate, but she had a fair amount of bone achiness that I think was from zelentronate. It didn't interfere with her function, but it definitely, that was probably her chief complaint. Where exactly was it? Just all over, she said, I think. Yeah, it wasn't in the joints. She said her feet, I think I remember in this case. Now, how long has she been on the zelentronate? Since September. It sounded like what you might hear with the first dose of zelentronate, but this was something she had every month. Not when she received the day 15 bevacizumab, just at the beginning of the month when she received everything. And what was your take on this, Mark? Wasn't much to go on. It didn't seem like it was the typical sort of arthritic kind of complaints that you see sometimes with estrogen receptor-directed therapies. Certainly nothing that I've seen related to bevacizumab. It is more reminiscent of a bisphosphonate-type reaction, especially on the first dose, but after this long, I don't know if it's really related to that. It may be spurious and unrelated to her treatment. That's another possibility. Now, did you recommend any intervention or NSAIDs? We asked her if it was enough to consider pain medication. She said it wasn't so bad that she felt like she needed anything for it. What's her lifestyle like? How is she spending her time? She can pretty much do normal activities. She stopped now is going to have a Mediport put in tomorrow, so we stopped the bevacizumab for a week because she doesn't want to have injections or the nurses don't want to do injections on the side where she had her mastectomy. But the bevacizumab is every two weeks, a mate is every month, so she's elected to get a Mediport. That's interesting. And my understanding, Mark, was that 
there wasn't much of an issue in terms of wound healing with a port in bevacizumab, but a lot of people talk about having a window of a week on both sides. How do you approach it? Well, I mean, from a pharmacology point of view, I think that's treating the doctor more than treating the patient. The half-life of bevacizumab is 21 days, so a one-week break will probably do nothing to the therapeutic circulating levels of the drug. So I think that's mostly for show. If you really want to do something to minimize wound healing complications, you'd probably have to have a washout of three or four half-lives before you would expect a dramatic difference in wound healing. Now, my understanding was there hasn't been much seen in terms of wound problems with ports. Is that your understanding? That is correct. With minor procedures such as port placements, complications of those procedures are infrequent. With other larger procedures, I've personally seen post-bevacizumab wound complications from general surgery that have been catastrophic. So it all depends. I saw a patient who had, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily from the wound itself, but it's just that the skin overlying the port just sort of opened up. It wasn't where the incision was even, but it was just very thin in that area, and you could see the port through a little hole in the skin. And I think back in the day, we were doing some bevacizumab clinical trials before it was approved, and I think we chalked that up as a possible drug-related adverse event, but we were never really sure. I have it, Neil, and every colorectal patient that receives Folfox of Aston or Fulfiri of Aston has a port, and I haven't seen a single case. In those cases, again, are you providing any kind of BEV window? or I really haven't. I try if I can, but if I can, I don't have a problem. It's two or three days, but I try to get the port in a little bit sooner if I can before I start the Bevacizumab. I mean, don't get me wrong, Neil. I follow the protocol, and I do a week on, week off, that sort of thing. But I know that that's mostly for show based on the half-life. It's interesting, though, that she's getting a port, but she's not getting chemotherapy. True, but zelantronate sometimes, it's a mild vesicant. It's a little harsh on the veins. 